0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Off-Season Edition. It's been a while since we could say that. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. And yeah, going through some off-season stuff. Not totally. Week 18, still here. Some of you sickos out there still Myself, have some championships to play. Not going to completely leave you hanging, but we are in a new era. You know, just a new season on this podcast. Doing more like three per week. Want to take some big picture ideas down the road. And we will get to some of that in this podcast. Basically today, want to touch on the key top usage takeaways from week 17 not doing our usual 2 hour spiel on it but there were a good 10 to 12 things that I believe are worth mentioning also want to go through our official PFF fantasy football awards then round things out with just some quick overall lessons takeaways from 2021 as it relates to overall fantasy strategy as always I am joined on this edition of the podcast by none other than PFF Zone Dwayne The Rock McFarland Dwayne 17 weeks are down week 18 man happy week 18 <laughs>
1: I know. I still haven't won a Millie Maker. So I have one more week, Ian. No, uh, no, man. It's I, I'm excited. Like this is my first, uh, like we were just talking about before the show came on, like the off season is like my brain is like morphing into this new mode. Like I'm really excited. I got a ton. Of, I have a huge list of things I want to research and things I want to jump into. But like we've been so we've been in such a groove for so
0: long. It feels kind of weird <laughs> trying to come out of it. It does, man. Uh, You know, 16 straight Sundays of just, you know, sun up to sun down. Nothing but watching football and stuff. I think I texted you at like... 12.45 this past Sunday. I was like, Dwayne, I'm already three beers deep. Life is good as a uh, normal person for a change. So, uh, we're going to try to, you know, I've not been drinking today. we got some work to do on this podcast. Again, we're going to start things off with some key takeaways from Week 17. Dwayne and I have gone through the snaps, the notes, and just identified some key situations that, you know, DFS, Week 18 Fantasy Finals, just being fans of the game, you should probably know about. So, Dwayne, let's kick things off with a situation in Buffalo where, okay, we had Emmanuel Sanders out with the Knee. Gabriel Davis took his spot. Stephon Diggs is doing his thing. Expected. What was not expected was Cole Beasley being healthy enough to get off the COVID list, come back and play, and not get his usual rollback. He actually only played forty-nine percent of the offensive snaps. Isaiah McKenzie was in there for thirty-two percent. Shout out to the artist formerly known as Roto World, NBC Sports Edge, whatever you want to call him, for pointing out that McKenzie actually outsnapped Beasley eight to one in goal-to-go situations. So Dwayne, when I see that original snap split, I'm my first. I was like, okay, Beasley first came off COVID. We've seen multiple players around the league kind of get eased back into action. But seeing the red zone usage makes me wonder if this could actually be a more cemented change in this usage going ahead into the playoffs. Is that what you're thinking here? Or am I maybe looking a little bit too much into just a one-week sample?
1: My guess is it's just the one week, <laughs> you know, I think they had multiple guys that just, you know, were coming back from COVID, you know, you're trying to get back into a groove and we know we've seen what that's done, you know, to folks. So my guess is we'll see Beasley really more in his normal role. I mean, I, I would I would hope that we would see more McKenzie. But to be honest, like you if McKenzie's just going to have a role like that, like. It doesn't help anyone. Like we can't use Isaiah McKenzie, you know, for like, if you're doing like a playoff best ball type thing, or if you're doing, you know, if you just want to play DFS during the playoffs, like makes it tough to use either one of those players. So like we kind of need one or the other to have the role. My guess is it still will be Beasley. I'm just going to lean to the guy we know has been the starter. Um, But yeah, it is an interesting split.
0: Bills can save about $6 million against the cap if they choose to move on from Beasley this offseason. I haven't taken a look about Isaiah McKenzie's contract, but we do know it's far less than 6 k Beasley turns 33 in April. This could be one of those situations, Dwayne, where if we do see the Bills move on from Beasley, you know, McKenzie's going to be everyone's favorite offseason sleeper that's going to be ranked too low, but he probably will be ranked far too low. Might be a decent idea to take a few late-round best ball stabs at him uh, at least in the winter
1: yeah for sure i mean i think it's a situation where look you know you've got a pass first offense um we've seen mckenzie you know flash multiple yeah. times now when we've had beasley out so it's not like we're just looking at one data point so yeah i think it's one of those situations where if, if you can embrace it early on while there's more unknown um, it can, it can be something that pays off. That's one of those situations where it's like, Hey, let's lean into the variants, especially in like a best ball type format. Not that you want to use that, you know, as your strategy for every type of fantasy football, but there, if you're going to play early, this is what I tell people. If you're going to draft early, like draft, draft the players in these types of situations where, you know, their price is eventually going to move one way or the other. It could go the wrong way on you, but if you're trying to capture upside, I mean, that's really what that's really the goal is to get things for as cheap as you can.
0: Moving on, another interesting wide receiver room. We have the Rams. First of all, without Henderson, without Cam Akers, Sony Michelle, 98% snaps, truly like the most used running back in the NFL right now. But the real interesting takeaway was what was going on at wide receiver. Cooper Cup, the God Fancy MVP, whatever you want to call him, 100% snaps. That makes sense. Otto Beckham, 98% uh, snaps. We know he's pretty much cemented himself as the number two pass game option in LA. But, Dwayne, what was interesting was we had Van Jefferson all the way down at 53% snaps because he was essentially splitting things down the middle with Ben Scourneck. I think I got it. <laughs> Some something, something like that. Seven
1: part <laughs> radio, like you just lay out. You know, and you let the other host drown.
0: <laughs> we'll just we'll just roll with that. Seventh round rookie. So we've seen Ben step up for a few weeks this year, but I mean, prior to this one, even you know, the last time we actually saw him play even more than 32% of the offensive snaps was that original game with OBJ against the Rams, where obviously I think Beckham played like 10 or 15 total snaps. And that one. So really, this usage in a game that was tight the whole way, unless we're missing an injury to Van Jefferson, kind of came out of nowhere. I'm not saying Jefferson was like more than kind of a low-ish floor wide receiver three before this happened, but it's not good, I guess, really moving forward and looking ahead to what this three wide receiver core could be moving on to next year. Jefferson's had, you know, chances really left and right, seeing Woods go down. Tutu Atwell was drafted in the second round. He got her, he's been out. It's not good for Van Jefferson's future that he is now again losing snaps to a guy's name that it's Week 18. I can't even come close to pronouncing.
1: Right. I mean, you would want him just to go ahead and keep this role, which we had seen him at 100, you know, of the routes. He did look like he got dinged up. Okay. But it wasn't until the fourth quarter, might have been late third, but it was when Sony Michelle was uh, Sony Michelle was actually was on a running play, and it looked like you know he may have injured himself on that play. But the problem is. This was really a rotation that started well before that. Like, this started in the first quarter. Now, it was Van Jefferson actually leading the way. Um, so, I mean, Jefferson was in a route 64% of the dropbacks through the third quarter. And so, I'm just looking at my notes again. So, it was the fourth quarter where the injury happened. So, in the fourth quarter, it was 100%, 100% scoronic, if that's how you say it. <laughs> you know, and Jefferson... Uh, you don't know not, either? You don't know yeah, either. Je- Unbelievable. No, I don't. No, Jefferson was not out there. Um, dude, I'm telling you, like, I guess I need... I've never had a reason to need to listen to any game unless it's like the Cowboys game, and I just do. Like... And I don't actually a lot of times with that either, but just to listen to the announcer, like, cause, and plus when I go back and watch games, I use the all 22, not the, you know, I don't use the broadcast version. So I guess like, I've got to figure out like how to do that again. But anyway, um, yeah, so it was, it was more of a rotation even before, um, the fourth quarter when Jefferson didn't play at all. So at first I thought, well, man, maybe it was just an injury thing, but it wasn't. It was actually something that looked like they wanted to do earlier in the game. And when you look at Jefferson, really, like, he's been good, like as far as a down-the-field target. Um, but really where they're using, you know, Bennett is – Underneath, They're using him in the slot. So he's really more of that low A dot, you know, slot kind of guy, Z receiver, you know, flanker, if you will. Whereas whenever you look at what they're doing with Jefferson, they really want him to play outside and stretch the field vertically more in that X um, position or split in
0: staying with the wide receivers. Unfortunate news in Dallas. Michael Gallup caught a sick contested touchdown, as he's known to do. Unfortunately, tore his ACL the play. Apparently, even tore it before he went up and made the catch, which made the whole situation that much more amazing. You know, prayers up that. Gallup gets fully healthy ahead of a free agency period where everyone is expecting him to get paid, assuming he's 100%. Same thing with Chris Goblin. Now, Dwayne, the ramification of this, something that, I mean, I remember you were bringing up as early as Week one, after Gallup got hurt, was that CeeDee Lamb, when used as the Cowboys' primary slot receiver, which he was from weeks 13 to 16, more snaps in the slot than out wide. That changed in week 17 when Michael Gallup's out of the picture. Obviously, this Cowboys offense wants to have all three of their sub-wide receivers healthy, but just in terms of CeeDee Lamb's personal case, losing Michael Gallup opens up a lot more opportunities for him.
1: Yeah, because he was coming off the field in 12 personnel because it was really Gallup and then they had Amari Cooper out there in those situations. So, look, a lot of times in 12 personnel, you're running the ball anyway. You're not throwing the ball as often. So it's not a huge deal, but every every time we can – Have a player on the field because think like the quarterback comes up to the line, you know, they're checking everything all of a sudden they're like, oh, I see that, you know, they're loading the box. We're going to throw. Well, CD didn't get to be on on the field whenever that adjustment happened. And so those can often lead to big plays. So it does matter. Um, and so, yeah, last week you saw CeeDee Lamb's routes jump from in week 15, 71%, week 16, 81%, last week up to 92%. If you go back and look at the games without Gallup, he was over 90% pretty much every week. So it's going to be Will's up for Lamb. You know, if you're doing any type of playoff, best ball formats, you know, Lamb's going to be one of the favorites in that anyway, but now you're going to get even that much more juice out of CD Lamb.
0: Hasn't been quite the second half we thought it'd be for CeeDee, but we've seen the dude when he's on, you know, wouldn't be shocked at all. If the Cowboys are going to make a nice run here, CeeDee's going to need to be a major part of that offense. Final real plan an interesting player
1: because, yeah. and he's a guy I really want to go back and watch again more, you know, cause I've watched him within the context of games, but really like studying him. Um, it's interesting. Like he's not the main guy when they see man coverage. So I don't know if that's something to do with him or something, the way they've designed the offense. Like he gets more targets whenever they're, whenever they're in zone coverage. And so really it's been more Amari Cooper, um, and, Michael Gallup. 27% targets per route run for Michael Gallup. And a lot of that is when Dak sees he's got a single on the outside and they want to go for a chunk play, he will yeah. throw it up to Gallup. And he doesn't quite, they don't really treat CD that same way, right? They they try to get him more the ball in space, underneath. Not that he doesn't ever go deep, but it seems like really they look at him as being more of this player they want to get the ball to on the run, right? And let him on the draggers, the crossers, the slants, things like that. So he's a guy I want to dig into more. But right now I'm kind of worried, like Islam at this point in his career, really more of a limited route tree type of guy. Now, sometimes again, that can be scheme and coaching, not necessarily just on the player.
0: Unless remember, C.D. Lamb, still just 22 years old, doesn't turn 23 until April. Dwayne, we were talking about the Cole Beasley cap hit. Don't look now. The Cowboys are locked into Zeke for, it looks like, at least another year. But that Amari Cooper contract was really more of a two-year deal. If they decide to cut uh, Cooper before June 1st next year, they can save $16 million against the cap. I'm not saying, you know, I, I think all 32 offenses are better off with Amari Cooper than without. But if we take Cooper and Gallup, out of the equation here. Maybe they think Cedric Wilson's a fine enough wide receiver three, use a top 100 pick to go get a number wide receiver two. I mean, if you take away Cooper and Gallup from the equation, man, I think we're going to be hard-pressed to rank more than five receivers ahead of CD in 2022.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to struggle probably with that anyway just yeah. because it's an explosive offense and we're going to be looking for him to take that next step forward. It's not yeah. like he's been bad, right? No. I'm just it, it's really honestly, it's it's just when you look around and you see the things Jamar Chase and some of these other young receivers are doing, like that that's also part of the equation in the way our brains work. But yeah, like if that were to happen and they were to move on from both of those receivers, I doubt they'd do that, but but you're right. It is it's 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 potential. And that's what we're talking about now is off season. If that were to happen. Yeah. Lamb would instantly be top five wide
0: receiver. Uh, Two more wide receiver situations. We want to touch on first is in Tampa Bay. So looking at what happened, I think we all saw Antonio Brown have a bit of a mental issue. Leave that game. We're still waiting to see if he's actually going to be cut or if Tom Brady and company are going to do enough to keep him around. So A-B stuff aside, looking at what kind of happened after that you know, incident. Mike Evans leading the way. 76% snaps, even though he was playing through the pain of a hamstring. Behind him, we had Tyler Johnson continuing to work as the full-time slot without Chris Godwin. But look at Cyril Grayson coming in Strong working ahead of Brashad Perriman, working ahead of Scotty Miller, and really emerging as the number three in this offense. That's great, Dwayne, but let's face it. We saw this when AB was out there. Brady and, you know, we saw Tyler Johnson two weeks ago get goose egged. Brady is not the type of quarterback that's necessarily going to treat, you know, Chris Goblin's backup like Chris Goblin. We might be in for, you know, four or five straight weeks of the Rob Gronkowski, Mike Evans getting fed all the targets they can handle show.
1: Yeah. I think the biggest adjustment here is you're just going to have a target funnel for Evans and Gronkowski. So, I mean, I mean, if you look at Evans this year, like he's wide receiver 12 and like he's only gotten 16% of the targets for the team. So like he could easily double that <laughs> for, the, for the, until the bucks are knocked out or if they go to the Super Bowl, like he, he could easily be at 30%. You could also see Gronk at 30%. I mean, Gronk this last week actually did lead the team uh, with 21% of the targets. He was at 20% in week 15. Um, So it's, and Gronk's really the highest guy on the team when it comes to targets per route run. We had a long stretch without Gronk, but at 22%. So they're going to both get fed. I do like Grayson just because, like, he's number one, his targets per route run is the best of the guys that remain. And that's where a stat like this comes in handy, right? We don't have, we've got all these different. Mishmashes of games where different guys have been in for different periods of time. You know they've been in and out of lineups based on guys getting injured in game. You know things like that. And when you look at Grayson, I mean, the eighteen percent is encouraging. And then the other thing is just you know his track record. I mean, came in the league in two thousand seventeen. Didn't play college football. He was really a track star from LSU. And so you could see it taking someone like this time, right, to get to where they are. All we know about him is that he's a he's a world class athlete, um, and he's finally getting his opportunity. So no better player to get that with, right? And Tom Brady and so he has come up in two games now and made some plays for Brady so I mean I think there is something potentially there um, I do like him you know as an option right now you know if you're drafting you know some of these things on underdog where you're trying to stack certain teams like maybe you want one team from the NFC and two from the AFC and you're putting it all on Tampa like man then I love getting you know Cyril Grayson at the end of a draft you know to put with Brady um, he's finished as wide receiver 33 and wide receiver 10 in the last two weeks, and that's on seventy-four percent and fifty-two percent of the routes. Obviously, last week would have been higher uh, if Antonio Brown had missed more time. We do have Rashad Perryman, who's going to be coming back as well. He played a little bit this last week, but he had been dealing with COVID, also some other injuries. So he's kind of a wild card. Like he's a guy that could get more involved. Not, you know, surprisingly, Scotty Miller's been just nothing like he was active this last game and couldn't even get out there with all the injuries. I, I wonder if he's facing. still
0: just, cause you know, he came off that IR, I believe from a hamstring. I feel like he maybe just hasn't been right since then. Why, why did they bring him back at all then? I'm not sure, but that has to be playing into something. Cause he was getting legit snaps during that whole playoff run last year and really making the most out of them.
1: Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, look what you're, What you're saying, I think, has merit. Like, We don't know for sure what's going to happen here right? with these guys behind Evans and behind Gronk. It could just be a mishmash of all of them. It could be one or two of them taking over. My money, like if I have to put a chip down today, if we have to place a bet today, I'm putting Tyler Johnson's going to continue to be the slot route. He's going to work underneath we all, you've already hit it, doesn't mean he's Chris Godwin. But he does have Tom Brady as his quarterback, right? Yeah. So, Tyler Johnson could make some noise. But at Grayson would be the next guy that I would really put a chip on just because we've seen him stretch the field. And honestly, like if Evans is going to be battling this hamstring injury, like they need somebody that can do that. that gives them that vertical element. Scotty Miller, kind of a little, he's a little bit of a wild card. But at this point, after being back for three games, like at three or four games, whatever it's been now, I don't know. I'm just kind of moving on from Scotty Miller.
0: Fair enough. And yeah, if it's more targets from Mike Evans, not the end of the world, despite not really getting force-fed targets in the same manner as we saw with Jameis. 27 touchdowns in his last 35 games, including playoffs. And he's about to become the first receiver ever with at least 1,000 yards in each of his first eight seasons. The only guy to do it in his first seven seasons? Oh, yeah, it's also Mike Evans. He's just breaking his own record. And you really think
1: there's any chance A.B. stays around, man? I just don't see how. Like,
0: <laughs> That's
1: crazy. Uh, no, I, I know. I know. Like you know, talent. Like he's got the talent. Like he's shown it's still there. But like just walking out on your team, I just don't. You know, unless they, unless it, you know, is a mental health thing. You know, um, which obviously there's something going on there, and I feel for Brown. But I just don't see how. Like the, I don't see how Bruce Arians allows it.
0: I get it, man. I know he has had a few impossible to explain off the field's issues three uh, three with three
1: different coaches now what he did in oakland what he did in new england and then now again here like yeah basically quit on all of them
0: I, i more so mean like the one video where like he had his freaking like you know kid and kid was getting taken from oh his, yeah his like okay like because i i again i brought some i'm just talking that.
1: between the lines what he's yes. done now to the raiders what he's done to the patriots it just yeah. at some point you kind of got to be like look i feel for the guy but i just don't see how arians brings it back
0: i i'm with you there but i just do feel for the guy based on a lot of this stuff again i can't yeah. explain everything but this is why i wish we have multiple categories of off the field issues because antonio brown yeah you can call him a lot of things about what he's done, but, you know, you see these lists of things, and it's like he's, he's having issues with his feet freezing. He's throwing a fit over his helmet not being right. Like, these are issues that I understand football teams don't want to deal with, don't deal with them and stuff, but, you know, I just think there are maybe people uh, I think there's a dose there.
1: of mental health issue, obviously. There's something going on there, like, and I'm a believer in that. I've battled through stuff. I've battled depression in my life. Like, I get it. So I, I know something's going on there, but there's also a sense of, like, you know it's like this concoction like where brown is also like a diva you know so you yeah. mix all that together and it's just it seems like it's more of a distraction than anything at this point and it's it's go time now for the bucks like they got to be like geared up and ready to rock
0: it's just wild, man, because from, you know, 2010 to like halfway through 2018, essentially. You never heard about anything. Not even like a whisper. So, man. man I, Mike I,
1: Tomlin was the ma- thing. Is, and I hear a lot <laughs> of this stuff was actually going on. And Tomlin, like, just kept it all in-house. So, like, Mike Tomlin, man, the
0: master. Kings stay Kings. And Tomlin now has another year without a losing record. that's yeah, crazy, man. Great job by him. All right, last wide receiver situation to quickly go over. And, you know, Duane, you add this to our handy-dandy show sheet. And I initially scoffed at it. Then I pulled up the game log and, <laughs> damn
1: it. I scoffed it. at it too, but I kept looking
0: at it. <laughs> Zay Jones' mini breakout is upon us Last six games, he has at least five receptions in five of them. Last three specifically, he's gone six catches, 67 yards, six catches, 50 yards, and eight catches, 120 yards. Doesn't have a touchdown since week one because, you know, the Raiders, but. Damn, he really has been coming on strong. You know, I remember having one fantasy playoff matchup in like I think a 14-team league. Guy against me was starting Zay Jones. I laughed at it early in the week. And you go and look at the end of the day and the dude's putting up double-digit fantasy points. Dwayne, any real takeaways from this or is it just a fun late-season story? Because this kind of seems like to me something where we're going to be seeing articles in February and March like, don't, it's like how I treated like Lynn Bowden last year, and he got hurt, so it's a little bit different. But there's always a handful of these guys where they have a nice little five to six uh, week end of the season. But it's usually on a bad team that didn't have too many other places to go with the ball. So credit to Zay Jones here, but we're not really buying this moving forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing was Zay, he's been around long enough that it makes it tough, right? To really think that this is anything more than just something you can use for this season, but it it just opens your eyes next year you start off he's on the waiver and if he were if he's on the wire and if for some reason like he's you know, all of a sudden, doing this in week one next year. Well, then you're like, okay, well he ended the year like like this, and now he's starting the year like this. Then you might give it, you know, some more credence. But it's mostly just something for folks that, for whatever reason, if you've got a week 18 championship game, or if you're just thinking about for DFS. But again, we're probably going to get Darren Waller back this week, and I think that probably changes everything. It is a must-win game for the Raiders. It really depends on Waller's health. If Waller's going to come back and really. You know, just kind of make his way through the game, you know, and serve as a decoy. Then that could actually help Zay Jones if it's going to be Waller back and he's truly full strength. Then I would think Hunter Renfro and really Darren Waller are the main two players that you're going to want to have exposure to in the Raiders passing game. So, but it's just something to keep an eye on with Jones. You could, I, I'm I'm going to treat treat him more like you know a low end wide receiver three this week with Waller coming back or a high end wide receiver four. You know, it's something you may just be using to get a little bit of salary relief. I mean, the good news is you know the Raiders need to win. They have. Have to win, and so they're going to want to put out their best game plan they can. And this guy has been part of it for the last few weeks. Twenty four percent, or sorry, t- target shares of twenty five percent, twenty nine percent, and thirty one percent.
0: He's at a career high targets
1: per route run this year of seventeen percent. So there is that.
0: Hey, Zay Jones, twenty twenty two. weirder things have happened already in, in uh, this short year. Moving on to some running back stuff before we get to are critically acclaimed fantasy awards. Uh, Daryl Williams taking over for Clyde Lair and Chase Edmonds taking over for James Conner both hit the 80% snap mark. Three down running backs as we expected as we told you last week. Expect that to continue assuming Clyde and James Conner remain sidelined. Dwayne, I guess the more, you know, Interesting situation to talk about, if that's that's probably not the right word. But a situation that maybe we didn't see going quite this way was Dari Ogunbowale. Good job, Ian. 66% snaps. Raquel Armstead, only 30%. LaVisca Chenault did not play a single backfield snap. So, Dari did manage to get that late garbage time touchdown. It was Trevor Lawrence's second touchdown pass <laughs> since week nine, I believe. So, credit to him for getting that. It all counts the same. You know, we brought this up throughout the year. Style points don't matter. And fantasy. Dwayne, I guess Dari is going to be like a borderline RV 2 because of this usage. Yeah,
1: I mean, he's... Almost in every down back. I mean, really, his utilization looks just like Rex Burkhead over the last three okay. weeks. It's very similar to that. You know, it's going to be around 65% of the snaps, going to be around 50% of the rushing attempts, but he's going to be in there for over half of the <laughs> routes, getting the long down distance, the two-minute offense. So he has more value in a PPR, in a half-point half PPR. You really don't want to touch this guy in a standard league if you can avoid it. Um, but I do like him in the half
0: PPR, and I say I like him. I like him as a borderline RB2. <laughs> <laughs> Lo- love this guy. He's my RB like 25 on the week. All right. Well, one guy that I think we like a little bit more than that is Rashad Penny, who has really emerged as a Seahawks workhorse over the final month or so of the season. Last four games, he finishes the PPR RB3, done it as the RB 42. I believe he got banged up in that one. Last two weeks, RB9 and the RB1 overall finish with the fantasy championships on the line. Dwayne, he doesn't have a True every snap, three-down roll. I know he's benefited for some, you know, somewhat rare positive game script for the Seahawks. But at the end of the day, like we've seen it with Carson, we've seen it with, obviously, Marshawn Lynch, brief spurts of Alex Collins, Thomas freaking Rawls, CJ Precise over the years. If you can find a healthy enough running back in the Seahawks offense, you know they're a good bet to push for 20-plus touches during any given week. That's what shot Penny right now.
1: Yeah, you just need it to be down to two backs, which it is. This week it was Penny. Um, And it wasn't D.J. Dallas, so you get the curveball. That's the problem, right? It was Travis Homer after it had been D.J. Dallas for like the previous three weeks. Um, But yeah, Penny is not seeing any of the passing down work, but he is getting all of the early down work. So essentially, you know, right now you can count on Penny to handle somewhere, you know, between 60 and 80 percent, right, of the Seahawks rushing attempts. He's had 52 percent, 71 percent and 66 percent. And he's still involved just a little bit in the passing game, even though he's not handling the passing game work. He's still getting some of the targets on early downs. So all the problems you talked about with the Seahawks, they don't run enough plays, you know, their tempo is terrible. They can be destroyed by another team and you just, you know, you could be completely game scripted out because we know he's not involved on passing downs. But the Seahawks are stubborn enough that they will stick with the run longer than a lot of other teams, even whenever they're trailing. So that is a plus. But yeah, I think 15 to 20 touches is pretty much a lock. I think the bigger thing with Penny, Ian, is just that, you know, he's playing with efficiency. Like when you look at him over the last um, four games, you know his explosive run rate is 16%. So those are carries of 10-plus yards or more. That's one of the tops over that stretch. Yards after contact. 4.18 on the season now. So I mean Penny's way up there in some in some metrics that we care about. miss um, missed tackles force per attempt .24. So he's he's really playing well, former first round pick, and most importantly for him, like he's an unrestricted free agent. They did not pick up his fifth year option last year, so he's probably going to make himself some money this offseason. It may still be a one or a two year deal, but he's going to get some money. I'm sure Seattle's going to try to keep him at this point because you get the neck issue with Carson. We don't know if Carson's going to be back. Ultimately, if Chris Carson's to be back, you are Better off if Penny leaves and goes to another team. If and, and I hope Chris Carson is back. Right, we don't want anyone to not have their health. But if for some reason we hear that Carson's going to hang them up or is not going to be available for the 2022 season, and Penny is really the only guy there, I become much more interested. But definitely a guy that I'm looking forward to tracking in the off because we've seen some talent, we've seen some flashes from him in the past. Really, the key is can he stay healthy. For a season, and so it'll be interesting to see: does any team look at him as that type of back, or does he really just get thrown into
0: another committee? Haven't you heard, Dwayne? I mean, Chris Carson's only day to day, like per Pete Carroll. Right? So. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Hour he's minute to minute, according to Chris. You know, according to Pete Carroll.
0: On freaking real. All right. I, especially tilting running back situations. When we talked about this on the injury podcast, all week long with DeAndre Swift, I was being cautious. On our preview pod, we were cautious. There's gonna be two other backs involved. First game back from injury, wasn't exactly killing it other than garbage time uses before he got hurt. And then Dan Campbell had to come out and say that, no, they're gonna cut him loose. He's back, practicing in full, no injury designation. Let's go, DeAndre Swift season. Four carries two receptions and 60 <laughs> minutes of action like come on man Dan Campbell out of all the coaches that I didn't think would be giving us some BS but let's the think press. about this
1: this is why folks have to be careful when because people uh. interpret what a coach says to be what they want right so listen Dan Campbell was honest he said we're gonna play you know DeAndre Swift played 57% of the snaps and guess what he almost played in the same exact role that we saw earlier in the season did he get out there and handle as much of the passing down work whenever they were trailing? No, but the Lions also decided they wanted to continue running the ball more than what we had seen them do early in the season when they got down and they were trailing. That Part of that might have been to do um, with Boyle being under center and not Goff. You know, I'm not sure. So there was a little bit of a change there. The game script worked out right, but at the end of the day, like his role wasn't that different, but now there are three backs involved. It's just like what we talked about. It was Jamal Williams handling the early down work, which, folks, Jamal Williams has been handling the early down work in neutral or positive game scripts all season. It just so happens... That the Lions never get to play in those game scripts. So you never get to see Jamal Williams do anything. So, like, and this is where utilization like comes in, right? Because it tells you basically the writing's on the wall with these situations. And so it wasn't that huge of a change for Swift. The biggest change was that you have three backs involved. I don't know that we'll see that again at the beginning of next season. My guess is they're just still trying to take it a little bit easy, you know, with Swift. So if you wanted to, you know, it, Get on to Campbell, you know, for anything, maybe it's that, you know, that, you know, they, they didn't fully feel like they could unleash him for even 30 to 40% of the rushing attempts, which he had been getting earlier in the season. And then there were weeks where he was getting 50, 60%, but again, because they were trailing like the whole game by a touchdown or more. Um, As soon as as soon as Detroit gets the ball, they're often down by seven, like immediately. Yeah, we'd like to defer so we can just immediately be down seven when we we get the ball for the first time. Um, So it'll be something we'll have to track. Um, If they do decide to use three backs next year, it's going to be a problem. I don't think Swift's going to have as much value next year, just because I think, you know, if if the if the if the Lions can make any kind of improvement, right? They're not going to trail as much, which means you're going to see more Jamal Williams. They can get out of Jamal Williams' contract. I looked at it earlier today. It's a two-year deal. They could get out of it if they want. I don't think they will. I think they'll keep him. And so I think it's just something that we'll have to sort through during the offseason as we get more news.
0: With Swift, you know, mentioned look to your point, how much of his kind of production was coming at the end of games last year, and how positive game script could change that. Yeah, so I did this on I sent this tweet on October 26, so you know about six seven games in the year. He had 29 PPR points in the first quarter, 19 in the second, 31 in the third. 57 in the fourth. <laughs> and you look at this last game, they have one drive at the start of the fourth quarter with Craig uh, Reynolds and Jamal Williams kind of switching off. And after that, they had two more drives and Tim Boyle was picked on two of his three passes. So it could have been a situation where, you know, in a different simulation that we're living in, Swift gets his usual, you know, five, six dump downs in garbage time. Just wasn't meant to be, unfortunately, in week 17. Running back that did come back from injury and have not his same role, but at least enough touches for us fantasy managers out there to be happy, was Elijah Mitchell. Only 58% snaps, but again, was able to clear out 20 carry mark and found the end zone as a receiver, even with Trey Lance under center. You know, Dwayne Mitchell, I think, is going to be one of the bigger kind of offseason talking points. We're going to need to consider, hey, could Trey Sermon in the second year be more involved? What about Jeff Wilson now having a healthy offseason? Hell, maybe, just maybe, they bring back Raheem Mostert. What are your thoughts on Mitchell coming back from injury and then kind of looking forward uh, throughout the year? Because the dude has done nothing wrong. I looked at the uh, overall numbers today, and it's pretty freaking ridiculous. Two Freaking 105 carries, uh, touches, excuse me, 205 touches without a drop or fumble. Shout out to Devontae Freeman. He's at 160. Nobody else is over even 60 of these. So Mitchell has done everything right. Kind of thoughts on, I guess, him here moving forward now that he's healthy and then also into 2022.
1: Yeah, like in these playoff, like best ball contests, I really love Mitchell. Like I, I like the backs where, you know, like their offense, like it depends on the running game. Um, and, and the other part is a lot of these other backs are in committees that we're dealing with in the playoffs. But he has, not, has had an RB3, RB14, and an RB8 finish in his last three starts. So, I mean, he's a low-end RB1 um, and the second most run-centric offense in the NFL that runs a great scheme, that he's a good fit in. I know a lot of folks, you know, have doubts about Mitchell, about his talent. But, I, for, you know, look, all we care about is what Kyle Shanahan thinks, and yeah. he loves Mitchell right now. Now I say it right now because that bridges us into the off season part <laughs> of the conversation, you know, it, it's something we're just going to have to monitor and we're going to, we're going to have to find some sort of inside source because really what we know right now is like Kyle Shanahan doesn't let the beat reporters in San Francisco know anything. No,
0: not not, not a single word.
1: Yeah. So, and I can't even necessarily put it on them. Like he's just not letting them, you know, know anything. Um, So, but but like going back to this year, like how could we be that off on Trey Sermon? How was there not a whisper that really Elijah Mitchell, no one knew this was a surprise to everyone. Elijah Mitchell, he's just the guy like there was no, no bones about it. Starter, right out of the gate. Obviously the injuries kicked in and that was a problem. Um, But for Mitchell, you know, with the off season, we'll have to see like the 49ers like to add running backs. Will they add another one this off season? What round will they draft them in? Um, All that stuff's going to be in play if they don't add another back. And if you subtract Mostert and it's just him and Sermon, I'm going to assume it's Elijah Mitchell because it hasn't been close this year. You know, I know Sermon's been out and he's on IR now, but it just hasn't been closed. So I would lean in pretty heavily into Mitchell, but you just have to know the risk that comes with a 49er back. There is the upside because the top of the offense that they play in and the explosive plays, but the downside is we know that we have a coach that is willing to a go with the committee. You know, he's also willing just to switch to the hot hand at any time. So it's just something where you've got to weigh the risk and the reward and Mitchell, He's going to be an interesting one because if the scenario that I just gave you plays out, like I haven't looked at ADP yet for any kind of drafts that are already going on. I mean, but look, we were drafting Trey Sermon in the sixth round this year without really seeing it. People have seen what Elijah Mitchell can do. Like, so he's going to be a third or a fourth round pick if the scenario I just gave you play. Heck, he could push higher than that if the scenario I gave you just plays out.
0: Couple more backfields to talk about before we get on to the awards in Washington. No Antonio Gibson led the way for Jared Patterson to be. You know, basically the bell cow, obviously J.D. McKissick still on IR as well. Patterson 62% snaps. Wendell Smallwood came at 25%. Jonathan Williams 13%. Dwayne, it was Patterson leading the way both in rush attempts with 12 and then as well as in targets with five. How close was this to the role we've seen Gibson having in past weeks without McKissick? Or is it maybe just more of a situation of, yeah, he got the targets, but it was actually Wendell Smallwood in pass first situations?
1: Yeah, it was more of the old Antonio Gibson with McKissick role. It was really more of just the early down stuff. The one one that pissed us
0: off every single week.
1: Yeah, he got 63% (laughs) of the rushing attempts, and he did have a targets per route run of 22%, 16% of the targets. Um, But a lot of that was due to Washington staying in a positive game script for a lot of the game. They weren't getting themselves in long down and distance situations all the time like we've seen them do in previous weeks. And so whenever you've got a situation like that, then a third down all of a sudden turns into a down where a back like this can stay on the field some. And so if you look at it from a long down and distance situation, it was um, 80% of that went to Wendell Smallwood. But they did keep Patterson out there for some of the two-minute offense, 61%, 39% for Smallwood. So, you know, I mean, not quite as bad as the role that Gibson had to begin the season. A little better than that.
0: Low end RB two here and moving forward, not quite Gibson. I would but. say more
1: high end RB three, just because with no bye weeks left, like you know how it gets pretty packed in the top yeah. twenty four. You know, I know there's only twenty four every time, but what I mean is it gets hard to make the cut for the twenty four. For
0: sure. Alright, how about another guy? Same game, Boston Scott. Just a 52% snap rate, but really, Kenneth Gamewell wasn't out there at all. Just one touch on the day. Jordan Howard did see 11 carries, but Boston Scott was able to both lead the way on the ground and take four of the five backfields targets. Miles Sanders, you know, dealing with a hand. I'm not an injury expert, but I would think having non-broken hands would, you know, help in catching and holding on to the football. Taking a, you know, big leap of faith right there. But Dwayne, in this Eagles' offense you know we got a potential shootout coming up against the cowboys at the end of the year we know boston scott is the giant slayer so we got to take a little bit off the projection but man he is still looking like the lead back in the league's most run heavy offense and he can catch the ball too he's someone that i think we probably do need to squeeze in that top 24
1: for sure i think he's a mid-range rb2 he he you could call him a low-end RB, 2 That would be fine, too. Um, but, I mean, he, he essentially took over Miles Sanders' role. Like, everything that Miles Sanders had been getting in the games he had been healthy, that all essentially went to Boston Scott. But Jordan Howard, to your point, still very involved. 34% of the snaps, 34% of the rushing attempts. Out there for 31% of the routes. Actually handled some of the long down and distance. What's interesting is, like, Boston Scott's a good, you know, receiving back. But they're not using him that way. So, he didn't have really... Uh, He didn't get, you know, the passing down work. More of that went over to um, Gainwell, who still, to your point, didn't play a lot, but 13% of the snaps. And so it's kind of a mix right now across all of these guys um, for the passing down work. Not one guy getting all of it, but you'd kind of think they would just unleash Scott like in that role. But I think it's really a situation where they're running the ball so much and giving these guys so many touches, they just want to keep it distributed across all of them. But to your point, it is an extremely run heavy offense, especially over the last Last ten weeks. So with Scott, you're also, you know, even though they, he may get forty to fifty percent of the rushing attempts, that doesn't sound good. That's like seventy percent to eighty percent for Devin Singletary. Like to kind of give you an example.
0: All right, everyone, that has been our quick brief on everything that happened from Week Seventeen. Twain, you didn't? Are you doing the utilization report this week? Or are you like actually yeah, spent time out. with your family? It, wow, it is
1: out. I'm gonna do. I'm going to do a slimmed down version next week just for the playoff teams okay. for folks that are doing you know, some of the best ball contests that are out there. There's a lot of good ones, whether it's FFPC, Underdog's got one that I really like um because you can stack different teams and do it differently like the one over at ffpc you just you just go in and you have to select one player from each roster across everyone that makes the playoffs so you can't do that one until the playoffs are actually locked in and there's some other ones like DraftKings that has got one so i'm going to do it for that because a lot of folks have given a lot of feedback that they found it helpful for the, for those sort of things so it'll be just as important as ever to figure out like who the hell we think is going to get utilized when
0: <laughs> Make sure you all check that out for full info across the week. And I also invite you to go check out Nathan Yonke's always great recaps from the week. This dude doesn't take a single day off. These recaps are out freaking after the week 17 games. Christmas doesn't matter. And he has immediate takeaways, snap rates, all that and more for free over on PFF.com. Now, Dwayne, we're going to have a little fun here. Official pff. Fancy awards. I was, uh, you know, I put a column out. I am not grinding all 32 utilization reports like you. Uh, this week, decided to take the easy way out and just make up some awards, get the people riled up, and kind of review the season. So, I uh, just want to point out that at least from my um, making these awards, I did try to have, you know, clear-cut quantitative methods for doing it. So I wasn't just pulling names out of the hat. I had many people questioning. Um, I'm not going to tell you which award, but Cordero Patterson won an award, and I saw some people on. going all right like i like you ian but come on here a little bit of home cooking going on you can find the article on pff.com and i'll explain to you what i was thinking with this but i think that's important because most valuable player it can be 10 different guys if 10 different you know people have different opinions on what constitutes the most valuable so with all that in mind Dwayne, let's get into it our mvp of the 2021 fantasy football season, I believe has to be Cooper Cup. Why? Because he averaged 4.1 additional fantasy points per game over the wide receiver two, who was Devontae Adams. You look at Josh Allen, he was 1.6 fantasy points ahead of Tom Brady. Derrick Henry, 0.6 ahead. Jonathan Taylor, I understand, you know, availability is the best ability, so we're keeping some of that mind in, too. And then also, Mark Andrews just point seven additional fantasy points above Travis Kelsey. So, so to me, it comes down between Cooper Cup and Jonathan Taylor. But my God, man, yes, we're going to have to look at stats a little bit differently here with the 17 games. But this is something that's happened from when the NFL went from 14 to 16 games and now 16 to 17. We saw it in baseball over the years, like a record is a record at some point. And with that in mind, 1995, Jerry Rice has the all-time record among wide receivers with 414 PPR points. Right now, Cooper Cup is at 412.9. So if you're... A student of the game, historical scholar, and you're saying, I don't care, Cooper Cup. He got that extra game. Rice is still the GOAT. Fine. That means Cooper Cup just had the second most productive season for a wide receiver that we've seen basically in NFL history. So Cooper Cup, MVP, runner-up, Jonathan Taylor. And Dwayne, I think people will be hard-pressed to find someone else that deserves to be in this conversation.
1: Yeah, no, I think Cooper Cup is the one. And look, Jonathan Taylor is the runner-up for me that I added. Um, But look, you had to take Jonathan Taylor at the end of the first round. Maybe you got him at the early second round. Um, you got Cooper Cup in the fourth or the fifth round. So there's also that. I mean, look, they're both great players. Like if you had both of them, oh my gosh, like what (laughs) you went full beast mode on your league. But I mean, looking at Cooper Cup, you know, he got over 30 points. So here are his games in week two, 37 points. Week three, 31 points. Week six, 34. Week seven, 38. Week uh, 13, there's a 27 pointer. Week 14, a 31 pointer. Week 15, 35. And look, like his lowest game, Uh, was 11.4 points. That was week four. Then he had a 16-pointer in week five, uh, 17-pointer in week two. Like, dude, it's just insane. Really, his low games were in the 20s. Like, so (laughs) there's just a great floor, great ceiling. It's hard to find players like that. He was the guy this week. He was the guy this year. I mean, look, Devontae Adams has scored 333 points. Cooper Cup is almost beating him by 100 points the King, Devonte Adams, a hundred points behind Cooper cup. So I do think Jonathan Taylor is the runner up. Um, you know, he was, he's, he's close, you know, to where we are with Cooper cup, 364 points on the season. And honestly, like, Taylor was a huge advantage, even though you had to take him at the end of the first or early in the second round, because if you look at how many backs went down and the guys stayed healthy. So, I mean, that's just really helped catapult him past everyone. Once Derrick Henry went down, it was really down to Jonathan Taylor and Austin Eckler, you know, in the conversation for the top two backs on the season. Taylor is similar to what we talked about with Cup. He's got 32 point or 29 points, 34 points. A 53 point week in week 11, a 26 pointer in week 13. So, I mean, yeah, he's had some weeks where he started off a little rough. Like, and we, you know, we talked about early on. They didn't really give him the things that worried you and I, which we'll talk about in a minute, were really a problem for him for about the first three weeks of the season. You know, week two, he only put up six points. Week three, put up eight points. But slowly but surely, the talent just began to take over. And when you got, you know, Quentin Nelson over telling the coach, coach, we got a hungry running back. We got to feed this (laughs) dude. Like, you know, you just got to go with it.
0: Yeah, and I would say they did a good job feeding him. carries inside the 20-yard line this year. Jonathan Taylor's number one at 83. And second place is Dalvin Cook with 45. Like, it's, you know, I don't think anyone is debating Jonathan Taylor being, you know, the world-beating talent that deserves those touches. But even then, Dwayne, you know, we just see the kind of role that volume can play into these huge fantasy seasons. Now, best fantasy championship game performance, I've, you're know, you either loving this guy right now or you're hating his name. It's Jamar Chase and I don't think there's much debate about that. Caught 11 of 14 targets for 266 yards. Not one, not two, but three touchdowns against the Kansas City Chiefs. First one, man, to see him put his foot in the ground and just outrun the whole secondary. You know, showed you the sort of special yak ability he has and then you saw, you know, the token. Oh, hey, I'm going to go up and win these one-on-one battles on a couple other contested touchdowns later in the game. So, you know, his first half of the year was just Incredible, and we continue to stick with him, ranking them highly through thick and thin win the second half. And you know, ultimately he comes down, finishes the year at least the fantasy season, as the overall wide receiver five, and trailing only Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Debo Samuel, and Justin Jefferson. So certainly saved his best for last, but man, just overall, what a great rookie campaign for Jamar Chase, already putting himself in the conversation with the league's best receivers, regardless of the year they were playing. So shout out to Jamar Chase on winning all sorts of people their fantasy weekend. But Dwayne, a guy we already talked about and deserves recognition as well, Rashad Penny for that overall RB1 performance. Like God forbid you played both these guys in the same week, I couldn't even imagine the words I'd be yelling at. Well if you
1: team. go look at best ball leagues where, you know, over on underdog and you look at the the DraftKing, you know, Millionaire Maker for, you know, best ball, like they had these players. And so can you imagine like all of a sudden seeing the owner that had Rashad Penny <laughs> just stashed? You know sitting down there and that's the beauty of best ball right you know it could be your that could be one of your last picks as a guy like Rashad Penny and then all of a sudden here he is complete <laughs> hero and guess what you don't even have to choose the week you got to start him you just get to roll with it when it happens um so yeah I think Penny is the runner up you know just because of the RB1 performance in such a huge week but man with Jamar Chase like you know looking at the 24% of targets as a rookie in, like it's very rare like we just don't see that we're talking like since 2011 like he's in company with like Micah Evans, Odell Beckham Jr., you know, the very best of the best in their rookie season. So, Sky is absolutely the limit for Jamar Chase. He's going to be an elite talent for a long time. 96% of the routes on the season, 24% of the targets, 39% of his team's air yards, 42% of the end zone targets, 28% of the third and fourth down targets. Number five in PPR scoring right now. And man, like, I'm, I'm, already starting to work on my ranks. I'm going to put them out next week for 2022. My first draft. It's just like, I keep thinking I don't have Jamar Chase high enough. Like, I don't think I have him high enough. I've already got him in my top five. And I feel like, like, do I just go ahead and just rank him like number two? Like, man, it's just the upside with this guy is just, it's through the roof.
0: And guess what? T. Higgins is also awesome. We don't yes. need to keep having this <laughs> like which one type of thing. After the Higgins blow up, Higgins in week's, is inside my
1: top twelve as well.
0: <laughs> as as he should be. I mean, but it's just funny to me. We're like after week sixteen, you know, we're seeing the was Higgins the alpha all along tweets, and then after last week, it's like Chase is the best rookie right like rookie receiver by far, arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. It's like you know we can put up these guys without putting down uh, the other one. Just keep that in mind when praising these incredible NFL. NFL athletes most improved fantasy player now this is what the way I calculate this was looking at the biggest differences in PPR points per game from 2020 looking ahead to 2021 so I required eight games in each year so that did knock out a few worthwhile contenders but with that said Dwayne it's Cordero Patterson 4.2 PPR points per game in 2020 in 2021. That 11.2 improvement was the second largest among all the players I tracked. The only guy that had more was Cooper Carr. I don't know how
1: anyone can argue with this. I know. How does anyone even argue? Here's the other way I look at it. This is a player you didn't even draft in a 20-round fantasy Exactly.
0: He also wins waiver-wire pickup of the year, which I didn't officially do. But he he would win that. He
1: could win all sorts of awards. Like You just can't (laughs) argue with it. And, And look, it's a crazy... It's honestly, I think it's the craziest thing I've ever seen in fantasy football. Maybe, maybe going back to the year in Cleveland. um, God, what was the fullback? Peyton Peyton
0: Hillis. Peyton Hillis. Yes,
1: Peyton Hillis. It may be the runner up to this, but I still give it to Patterson because a player that's been in the league for 10 years. You know, I mean, and we just didn't, as much as we may like Cordell Patterson, as much as we may know Corderell Patterson's, you know, a great, you know, athlete. Just he hasn't been able to be unlocked by all of these different coaches and now to think that Arthur Smith could do it, like it's just it's mind blowing to me.
0: 11 touchdowns this year on offense. That's how many he scored combined from 2014 to 2020. Man, like he had oh, 1100. Everybody's 15- arguing with so us. Uh, cool. 1154 total yards this year. The previous three years, 1025. Like that's the thing. So technically, yes, Cup had the larger improvement, but Cup was has always, you know, throughout his career, been at worst like a wide receiver too. So Patterson went from being someone that you basically never thought of in fantasy to being either the overall PPR RB7 or the wide receiver 15, depending on what floats your boat. What a year from our guy, CPAT. And Dwayne, I went ahead and purchased. He has like his own apparel thing going out. And he said, top 10, first 10 people to order get assigned a signed Patterson note or like, you know, they get an autograph. That's what they freaking call it. But anyway, I got this cool highlighter uh, 84 CP hoodie. Fingers crossed I was uh, one of the first 10 and I get that autograph. Uh, Just some other quick honorable mentions. Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, and Tyler Conklin had the largest uh, differences at their respective positions. Joe Burrow also had a nice boost. Tom Brady had a nice boost. You can still put up fancy points without having rushing ability. Kids, Leonard Fournette, shout out to him, plus 8.1 improvement. Daryl Williams, A.J. Dillon, Damon Harris each averaged at least five additional PPR points per game. So did Jonathan Taylor. That dude's a beast. And only four wide receivers to clear at least six points. Cup, Michael Pittman, Hunter Renfro, and Van Jefferson. So great stuff from all of them. One guy, Dwayne, that, yes, he does need to be talked about. The only reason I missed him was because he played seven games last year and my threshold was at eight, is Debo Samuel. Man, I don't know how long, like how, how much time did we spend this year talking about how Debo Samuel was due to regress for one reason or another. It didn't matter. Baller's ball, and that's Debo Samuel
1: yeah man like it i just the way i look at this award is pretty simple like who are the players you could have got the latest in a draft that you were just super charged about putting in your lineup for the championship game. And they came through still from the beginning of the season to the end. Samuel had a little three week stretch, but yeah, this is a player that most wrote off because they said, hey, Ayuk is just the better route runner. He can do, he can run the complete tree. He can do all these different things. And then people just forgot like Debo Samuel, like the run after the catch ability in this scheme and just how much his coaching staff loves him. Um, Using him in the backfield, handling 20% of the rushing attempts over like the last six or seven weeks. So he's really a dual threat player kind of like cordero patterson like they're kind of similar in that way and so um you know from that standpoint like it's not surprising like see hear both names you know coming at us but samuel man just a guy that you're loving to play like he's in the top three now for the season you know and you could have got him in the eighth ninth round um so
0: that's huge all right next award best fantasy comeback This is based on first half versus second half production. Last year, uh, I named it David Montgomery because he had an awesome second half of the year. And PFF Twitter account just hung me out to dry and all they said was Ian's comeback player of the year is David Montgomery. So I had to have Alex Smith stands at my neck for like 24 hours. So all due respect to Dak Prescott, Joe Burrow, your real life comeback players of the year and fancy, I think it goes to Amon Ra St. Brown. Only three players were able to post a double digit increase in the PPR points per game from weeks 1 through 8 compared to weeks 9 through 17. James Connor, Elijah Moore, and Amonra St. Brown. I know Connor and Elijah helped maybe get us to the playoffs, but obviously both were too injured to ultimately play, which leaves us to Amonra. And honestly, you know, even with Connor and Moore, if they had played, I think, you know, the sun god, as we're calling him, I guess, uh, would be, you know, more than viable candidate. What he did over these last five weeks, man, truly special. PPR, wide receiver 6. Wide receiver 26, wide receiver 6, wide receiver 6, and a Championship Sunday wide receiver 2 finish. So, during this span, 43 catches. Only Cooper Cup have more at 46. And, you know, Dwayne, incredible finish from Amon Ra. He's going to be one of the most, you know, maybe polarizing is the right word for like just ranking next year because it's hard to look at this late season split and view him as anything other than a target hog wide receiver two the question is you know i think we're all pretty well aware this lions receiving room is going to add multiple pieces how likely is it that he continues to get fed in this manner but at a minimum just looking back what a freaking finish from the rookie
1: yeah man like i i'm I'm stoked to see what happens in the offseason. We know that the Lions need weapons. So, undoubtedly, they're going to add other players. But here's the thing that I look at you know, just because, and we've talked about this, like just because you're the only option left doesn't mean you're good enough to demand this sort of target share. Like, you've got to be good enough to beat. First, the one-on-one matchup across from you. Then, as you get better and coaches start to scheme for you, you got to be able to beat doubles. You got to be able to beat help coverage. It's not like the NFL coaches are just looking at this now and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, just forget this guy. Like, and he's really been winning some plays down the field. I know he gets to work from the slot, but he's got to work more outside over the last several weeks. So he's really been playing the flanker position and the slot position. This last week, they trailed pretty much the whole game, so they did use more eleven personnel. So he got to kick back inside to the slot, but he's been winning really. You know. In both areas. And I mean, so it's just a situation where when I look at it, it's like his comps, you know, whenever I go in and use like, you know, some of our key metrics that we have available to us, like the high end of it, it's kind of like Doug Baldwin, you know, or even a little bit higher, like Cooper Cup would be like the next one up. And then it goes all the way down to like Jamison Crowder. But like Jamison Crowder like is nothing terrible. Like, yeah, he hasn't oh. done he hasn't done well with the Jets, you know, here this last year he's been hurt and things like that. But when you've had a healthy Jamison Crowder with an okay quarterback, like he's been a player that you can use in fantasy. So the way I look at him on Ross St. Brown right now, at a minimum, he's a wide receiver three next year. Because I think he can do what Crowder does. But I think he also has upside to really be more than what you know, some of than than someone like Crowder because of what he's shown, despite being like the complete focal point of the offense knowing that defenses are trying to take him away um, late in the season
0: and he's going to be a guy that I think you know the adage that I probably brought up on every single episode last offseason like trying to draft these players closer to their floors than their ceiling that is a St. Brown because even if they add some extra receivers and the passing game improves you would think he can maintain that wide receiver three goodness just some other uh, notable guys. We uh, Dwayne had runner up here. Jalen Waddle, fantastic end of the season. I mean, we saw when Tua was under center had had a nice little more or less wide receiver two floor built in with wide receiver one upside. I get it. Week seventeen didn't exactly you know crush it, but I'm sure he got you to week seventeen with that week sixteen performance against the Saints. Just some other nice notes. And just I another player that yeah. you were
1: getting in the ninth or tenth round. <laughs> exactly your drafts yeah. you know but to your point it's more about like this particular reward it's more about what they did in the first half versus the second half if yep. you just look at the second half i mean just like some of these games a 21 pointer a 29 pointer 18 Ooh. 25 16 so i mean Jalen Waddle had a huge second half of the
0: season Best quarterback, second half improvements. Justin Fields averaged an additional six point four fantasy points per game in the second half of the year. I think we're going to be, you know, talking a lot about Fields, Lance as the late round quarterbacks of twenty twenty two. I hope they are the late round quarterbacks. You know, no, it's funny they
1: pushed up beyond that. Lance has already done enough that, like, he'll cost yeah. you a ninth.
0: <laughs> well, this is what happened <laughs> well, last year. That's,
1: that's late round to a lot of people. We'll like, see, man. We'll to me, see. Because late like, round is a twelfth or thirteenth rounder.
0: Jalen Hurst last year started off as a non-late rounder. I think maybe there were enough trade rumors or what, but he ended up by August being a legit late round quarterback after spending a lot of I think the sharper summer months as a top uh, eight or so quarterback. So we'll see either way good improvement from Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, who I saw you know, even someone like uh, Benjamin Salik who wrote Pretty scathing review on the ringer about Wilson's performance but you know he was out there last week on Twitter uh, just pointing out some of the awesome throws that Wilson has made over the past few weeks so that improvement is what you would hope for from a quarterback getting healthy and then you know let's face it, being forced to play without Corey Davis or Elijah Moore down the stretch hopefully Zach Wilson can you know really take a leap forward in 2022 and become a potentially incredibly entertaining quarterback We know he at least has a skill set also Aaron rodgers big improvement as well joining James Conner as running backs with at least a a 7.5-point improvement, A.J. Dillon, Sonny Michelle, and our guy Justin Jackson. Obviously, that was a little bit more inflated because of that Week 15 performance, but hey, you know, that won a lot of people that fantasy matchup. So, wide receiver, joining St. Brown and Elijah Moore, Brandon Ayuk, and Russell Gage, and also shout-out to Jimmy Garoppolo for enabling George Kittle to one heck of a second-half performance, takes us to our Rookie of the Year, Dwayne. I don't think it's that hard it's jamar chase you could make an argument for Najee harris just based on the fact that Najee, you know let's see what he finished as i believe the rb3 overall okay rb4 overall on a per game basis he's rb6 but my thing and i guess the tiebreaker is Najee. if you just want to look at expected points which we've talked about a lot on here and you know taking the difference between realized fantasy points and expected fantasy points Najee was the most inefficient running back in all of football in terms of what we expected him to do. On the other side of things, the only wide receiver that outperformed Jamar Chase in performance above expectation was Debo Samuel. So Jamar Chase was balling and out exceeding expectations, Najee Harris falling, but not even meeting the expectations. So shout out Jamar Chase, takes some best fantasy championship performance and rookie of the year. And again, Joy, I don't think many people would argue that point, but the bigger takeaway, I think, look at all these stud rookie receivers, man. I mean, we've always looked at running back in the past as kind of being the more NFL ready position coming out. They have such a short lifespan, the NFL anyway, teams have always been feeding them, but more and more, man, these rookie receivers, they're coming in and dominating from day one.
1: Yeah, and you heard me talk about it a minute ago with Jamar Chase, you know, and the target share of 24%. But like looking at these other guys, like Waddle at 23% of the targets, Devonta Smith even. I know it's a run heavy offense, so we don't get to talk about him as much, but 23% of the targets, you know, coming out and doing that, you know, at age twenty two or younger, which is Smith is an older rookie. He's 23. Um, still in his first year, like it's it's really rare, man. You just don't see it. And we've got multiple guys doing it. And then we had some other guys that might have been able to do it, you know, could they have just stayed. Healthy, you know, with Elijah Moore because when you look at his targets per route run, twenty four percent. Kadarius Tony, even now his is a really small sample size. You have to be careful, but twenty seven percent targets per route run for Tony, you know, who had like five different elements, you know, keep him out this year. Yeah. Like one of the guys that wasn't as impre- impressed with was really Rondell Moore, but a lot of that was the function of the way Kingsbury just forced him into this one role. I don't think we've fully seen what Rondell Moore can do. Um, so, but when you again back to St. Brown, you got Devonta Smith, you got Jalen Waddle. Um, And then Kyle Pitts, you know, which is really the next guy, you know, I was going to, I was going to talk about here in a minute. So I'll save that and I'll wait on him. But it's just, we haven't had a rookie class with this many receivers over the 20% target share mark. Um, Well, and I'm only looking at this back to 2011, but like, this is the best class we've seen.
0: Also, shout out to Mac Jones, the best rookie signal caller in real life and fantasy, but he finished as just the overall QB 19 in Fantasyland. I think it just, again, helps demonstrate like just how few rookie quarterbacks have also been elite full-season fantasy performers. Since 2010, the only rookie QBs to finish in the top 12 Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, RG3, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Kyla Murray, and Justin Herbert. Everyone except Herbert were starting by week one, and they had averaged at least 25 rushing yards per game in college. And I think, you know, those two factors were a big reason why a lot of people were on Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields as potentially joining that group. As we saw with Lance and Fields, had a hard time getting on the field. And as we saw with Trevor Lawrence, wasn't exactly in the sort of offensive environment to take advantage of the sort of tools he brought to the table. Shout out to Elijah Mitchell, RB14 on a per-game basis. Only rookie running back as a top 24 performer. Javante Williams, awfully close to RB25. And shout out Michael Carter, RB29. You know, I did one of those charts where I like to put Yards after contact, per carry rank on the Y-axis, missed tackles, forced per carry on the X, and, you know, you kind of see the best of the best running backs emerge in the top right. And right there, alongside Nick Chubb, alongside Tony Pollard, some of these other guys, both Michael Carter and Javante Williams, they're putting something in that North Carolina Gatorade cooler. You Mm. mentioned Waddle, St. Brown, Devontae Smith, Elijah Moore joining Jamar Chase. And yes, let's move on to Kyle Pitts because... I'm, you know, we're still seeing the oh my gosh, this is one of the best rookie tight end seasons ever, and it was he just didn't really meet the preseason expectations, which were higher than almost any tight end we've ever seen. So. I just want to compare him more as a wide receiver because that's more so what he plays. 67% of his snaps were in the slot or out wide this year. But if we're going to continue to call him a tight end fantasy land, then whatever. Either way, he was efficient on a yardage basis this year. Looking at rookie receivers, wide receivers, and tight ends combined over the past five years, here are the guys averaging the most yards per run. AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson, third place Jamar Chase, Juju Smith-Schuster, fifth place Kadarius Toney. How about that? And this was a minimum 50 targets, and yeah, Kadarius actually did eclipse that. Right behind Tony though, was Kyle Pitts at 2.13 yards per route run. So, you know, Dwayne, I've him a little bit on this podcast, I would say, uh, and he's only touchdown this year has been against John Franklin Myers, a defensive end for the uh, New York Jets. So let's let's say that was probably a bad idea uh, for the Jets to cover him at that. But at a minimum, man, I'll be very interested to see where he falls because if we have a chance to get Pitts as more of a low end tight end one in 2022, my God, we're gonna buy this dude everywhere because if there's any player that we expect to experience you know positive touchdown regression next year, it's Kyle Pitts.
1: Yeah, like he's the number one. Like we got 102 targets, 66 receptions, 1,018 yards, and you only have one receiving touchdown. So like that should be more like five. And I get it. Like some of that comes down to him. Some of it comes down to the offense, but some of it's just variance, you know. And so if he continues to get this kind of workload, and he will continue to be a tight end, Probably in most formats, and I think as we see Hayden Hurst move along eventually in his career, I haven't even looked at his contract. I think you'll start to see more of Kyle Pitts getting the lineup inside. I wish they would. This guy's a complete nightmare for linebackers and safeties. You know why do you got to keep lining him up outside? I think there's a chance you'll get to see him even more inside next year, just because of how well Russell Gage has played. You get Calvin Ridley back. You can play them on the outside. You can put Pitts in the slot. You can put him, you know, um, in line as well. So I think there's just a lot of different things that you can do with him. But the main thing is just seeing. rookie getting this type of volume getting over a thousand yards whether you call him a receiver or a tight end doesn't even honestly matter like you know it's it's even better for a tight end Um, and the main thing is like what do we get to call him for fantasy and so yeah. from that from that perspective, yeah, like looking at Pitts, it's gonna be hard for me, man, to not have him in my top three. Just because some of these other guys are getting older. We know that the touchdown regression is going to swing back the other way for Pitts. And I think you can make an argument, right, that he ha- he has an elite upside to be the tight end one again. Um, I know people may have been a year early on it, but it. And he didn't pay off. You're right on his draft capital. Um, I had him. I had him ranked higher than any other fantasy analyst at PFF in the preseason ranks. And so I'm one of those guys. that probably was a little bit too high on him, and I was very aggressive. I play a lot of tight end premium leagues, you know, for high stakes type stuff. So I was drafting Pitts quite often. And yeah, he didn't. He didn't help me win championships. So t- your point is correct. Like taking him in the third or the fourth round, there were picks I could have made. There was Cooper Cup would have been a lot better picks to be making whenever I was taking Kyle Pitts. But I think all the things that made me love him last year um, going into the season or this season for the 2021 season are all going to be there in 2022. And he did nothing to really make me think, oh my God, I was wrong. Like, actually, I'm more encouraged than ever about Pitts as long as he gets to remain a tight end for fantasy.
0: Final award we have here. in Dwayne, this was a McFarland special. Uh, he's not a backup coach award. <laughs> Javante Williams. We're not here to slander Melvin Gordon. I know he got negative rushing yards a few weeks ago, but you know, it, Melvin Gordon was at worse than average back this year, and I think he was honestly probably an above average player. But my God, man, when we have Javante Williams and Missed tackles forced aren't an all-encompassing running back stat. Neither is yards per carry. Neither is any one stat for a running back. But I do think zeroing in on one of the few situations of a running back being forced to make a defender miss a tackle. It's one of the few one-on-one spots that we have for running backs. And at the end of the day, Javante Williams has 60 missed tackles forced on carries. As does Jonathan Taylor. They're number one and number two. The difference is it took Jonathan Taylor 317 carries to get there. Javante has just 191 on the year. Just from an eye test standpoint, Dwayne, I think it's impossible to call Javante Williams anything other than the rookie RB1. And, you know, we're going to be praying the fantasy gods every single day throughout this off season that he is truly unleashed in 2022.
1: And I think he will be. I don't think Melvin Gordon will be back in Denver. We'll see what happens. You know, they could. Um, but hopefully it is just Williams. But, yeah, he's, he should be getting more work like this guy leads the league like you mentioned mentioned in miss tackles force per attempt 0.31 this is a minimum of 150 attempts and then if you look at yards after contact it's 3.39 that's fourth in the league for for backs with at least 150 attempts and then his explosive run rate which is carries of 10 yards or more he ranks fifth at 13 percent. so all of these different things and and that's the one i like to look at the most the explosive run rate, like because that's where you're truly helping your offense out. You're basically creating chunk game, chunk plays on the ground. You're creating positive EPA. Um, you know, you're not. It's it's not a situation where it's a complete give up to not pass and you're running the ball instead. You know, if you just want to get like go to a math equation about it. So looking at Javante Williams, he solid prospect. You know, I mean, I. I don't see how next next year if Melvin Gordon's gone and I haven't got to my, I haven't ranked my RBs yet. For 2022, like I said, that'll be coming out next week. But man, just right now, I'm going to assume that Melvin Gordon's gone. And there's no way he's not in my top 12. Like, I'm just wondering how high am I going to push Javonta Williams?
0: Yeah, because if they get a legitimate quarterback upgrade, which I don't know, you know, I think they could probably add 30 quarterbacks and get a legitimate quarterback upgrade. But God forbid they land a Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. Like, top five is now the question, Dwayne. The only game that Javante didn't have Melvin Gordon, he finished as the overall yeah. RB1. The guy can do it all. And what? He's, he's a 21 plus in the years passing old?
1: game, too. I mean, 20% targets per route run <laughs> this season. Like, so when he's out there, they're willing to throw him the ball. I mean, obviously, that's a problem. Teddy Bridgewater needs <laughs> to use the other weapons and throw it downfield. But he is a viable target. Can you imagine Aaron Rodgers? Russ Wilson, someone like that landing in Denver with Javante Williams as Ooh. the feature back. Oh my god.
0: Yeah, and then Dynasty land, man. If you just want to call the guy the... I I think everyone probably has to have Jonathan Taylor as the overall RB1 at this point, but Javante, pretty good case for RB2. I agree. He turns... He turns 22 years old on April 25th. Like, Najee's going to be 24 by then, man. It's incredible what Javante has done. If they get Aaron
1: Rodgers, for example, and and look, this is all just, this is the beauty of the offseason. Now we get to talk Let's about go. all these things. Let's go. If they get Aaron Rodgers and Melvin Gordon is gone, like, are you? Uh, he might be in my top three. Like, the dude is yeah. great. He's a great player. He would then be in a great situation. And what we would expect to probably be a top three offense with all the other weapons around him. Like he he would be immediately be a candidate to score twenty touchdowns if he landed in an offense like that.
0: Going to take a lot of uh, lonely fantasy was from 6 to midnight if we get that yeah. working out. Fantasy awards, summing it up. MVP, Cooper Cup, Shout out Jonathan Taylor, runner-up. Best fantasy championship performance, Jamar Chase, runner-up Rashad Penny. Most improved fantasy player, Court Daryl Patterson, runner-up Debo Samuel. Best fantasy comeback, first half versus second half, Amon Ra St. Brown, runner-up Jalen Waddle, Rookie of the year, Jamar Chase, runner-up probably Najee Harris. He's not a backup coach award, Javante Williams, and most likely to score more touchdowns next season is Kyle Pitts. And that Kyle Pitts note, I think, takes us right into kind of our quick overall 2021 lesson takeaway. And for me, it's to make sure that we're projecting for next season, not just reflecting on what just happened. I think a lot of people make the mistake where their initial kind of building process for next year's rankings is more or less taking what just happened in the previous year. And, Okay, that's probably better than taking you know what happened in 2018 and building off on that. But like with Kyle Pitts, man, we can't just be we gotta be treating on what Kyle Pitts is going to be, not on what he was. And I know that's easy to say, but like when we see Jonathan Taylor and Cooper Cup blowing up the way they did, they're gonna be the consensus RB one, wide receiver one a year after nobody had them even close to that, particularly in Cup's case. I know some of you Jonathan Taylor true, true truthers had him top four, top five, and credit to you for doing so, but just on a consensus industry-wide basis, I don't think that was uh, you know the case. So for me seeing that I made this mistake this year, I do think Jonathan Taylor was one of those issues because in 2020, the stat i love to throw out there was that Marlon Mack, Naeem Hines, and Jordan Wilkins had, as a group, more combined carries and targets than Jonathan Taylor, you know, but we got to remember, this was going to be Taylor's second year. He did see a nice increase in the second half of the season, and you know, with the offensive questions, with Wentz, you know, going from Rivers to Wentz, I do think just the talent with Taylor and that offensive line, probably enough where I should have had him higher than I think it was RB 11 uh, that we came into the year with. And another bad one was Tyler Boyd, who I expected to be more of a borderline wide receiver, too. Now, some of the Bengals passed down usage, you know, with them being so run heavy, really up until week 15 and week 16, obviously played a role in that. But just realizing that Boyd, compared to Higgins, compared to Chase, you know, I shouldn't have been as confident as I was that that target share was going to be sticky and Boyd was going to, again, either lead the way or be, you know, a 1A, 1B, 1C. So I didn't completely miss on this and you know again Dwayne I always like to say uh, people are awfully loud in your mentions you know at 4pm on Sunday I like to think that you know we're doing a pretty good job when people don't have as much to say before kickoff but you know one of the things I brought up was that Austin Eckler had the role that we hoped Alvin Kamara would still have and then also a point that both of us were on. We're on target Jalen Waddle and drafts of all shapes and sizes because this dude was a borderline wide receiver four that we could easily see based on his draft position, based on his skill set, leading this team and targets, you know, even though it wasn't a good passing game, when you can draft the freaking wide receiver 48 as a guy that's going to see triple-digit targets, that's a good idea. So just really emphasizing more and more that, you know, when we're asking each other questions this offseason about why we have a guy ranked as high as we do, I want to make sure that a lot of our reasoning has to do with what's going to happen. Again, not just reflecting on what did happen.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's really important. Like, I mean, I've been doing my own projections for 15 years now. And like when I first started that, what you're talking about is like one of the mistakes, you know, that I would make like now, like when I'm doing my projections, like I'm using a lot of different tools to help me with it. Um, and obviously last year is a, it's a data point, but really you're looking at how good do you think the team is? You're looking at the coach, you know, the coaching staff, like schematically, like what do they like to do? How does that talent fit? Um, and really talent, like is the number one thing. And I think that's what we have to remember. Um, the takeaway for me, and it ties back, Jonathan Taylor is actually a really good example. Um, but whenever you have things that are close, in, I think what you have to do is you just lean into the talent right you, you lean into the fact that Jonathan Taylor just kicks ass i think the other thing you look at is if because everybody has a range of outcomes right based on what how they get utilized but some players like Jonathan Taylor if things go right what do you get it's more than what you get if things go right for Najee Harris right if things go right for Javonta Williams you get more than what you get if things go right for Najee Harris because Javonta Williams has just shown us he's the superior player, right? And what he could do with that opportunity. And that's really what we should have done with Jonathan Taylor. That's where I do look back and think, dang it, like I should have drafted more Jonathan Taylor. I Personally, I didn't get enough of him, right? It cost me this year. I made money in high stakes leagues this year, but I could have made a lot more if I had not been so stubborn on my Jonathan Taylor take. And there's a, there's a reason for it. Like I looked at it as they re-signed Naheem Hines, they gave him good money, and Naheem Hines happens to be really good at what he does, which is he's a he's a down the field receiving back. He can run it. his a dot. When I say down the field for a receiver, that means his a dot is like above a one. Like so, he's right. in the mold of an Eckler, of uh, an Alvin Kamara. Like he's actually a better route runner than even those guys, right? He's kind of more like what we saw with Darren Sproles. And so my concern was like with such a specialist involved man, like he could have been more involved. And I will say this. I still think you lean into the talent, but there could have been a different simulation of this season. The Colts have led the Colts have led the fourth most in the NFL. Like they've led by four or more points, the fourth most plays in the NFL. So it has enabled Jonathan Taylor to also be, and Jonathan Taylor has been part of what's created these scripts, right? So sometimes it's a chicken or the egg kind of thing, but they've, they've been very fortunate. And I do think there's situations where in the future, we could see less Jonathan Taylor because if it's third and nine, Unless you're running a screenplay, let's face it, Naheem Hines is still the better play to have on the field than Jonathan Taylor. So and we saw it go the exact opposite. Most players that, most guys that were touting Jonathan Taylor were also Chad, were also touting Antonio Gibson. Well, it was this almost the same exact situation. Look, I'm not gonna say it's the same because Jonathan Taylor, we knew clearly was a better talent, right, than Antonio Gibson. It's not like Gibson we thought those two were close.
0: Had Gibson, his rookie year, had a lot better kind of missed tackle numbers he and did. explosive run numbers, and he was playing a little banged up. But, I mean, you brought this up earlier on. Their role, obviously Taylor's role has increased a little bit as this year has gone on, but really the first six weeks or so and what we saw last year, their role was close to the same.
1: Right. And so it worked in one case and in the other it didn't. But at the same time, like my kind of lesson is if you've got players that are close in a similar tier, just lean to the upside of the talent. Yeah. Right. And if you got, and and maybe not be so hardcore about drawing a line in your tier that makes Jonathan Taylor the top player in the next tier down. Right. Maybe Jonathan Taylor's talent alone should mean, you know what? He just belongs in this tier with these other guys that we know are going to get all the work. Because guess what? These things are fluid. And some of it, Ian, like we just don't know how it's going to work out. Look at the Ravens. I think the Ravens are a great example. No one wanted to touch a lot of the Ravens receivers this year because there's no way, Ian. All the Ravens has ever done, all they've ever done is be a run heavy offense. Well, some of these things are out of our control. Like when your offensive linemen get hurt, your running backs get hurt, and you look at the receivers that they've drafted, all of a sudden the Ravens are a pass, you know, I don't want to call it pass heavy team, but they're a pass balance team whenever they were a complete run heavy team in the past. And so it's a situation where we've just also got to remember with talent, like there's just a lot of different things we can't necessarily predict, right? We can't predict the injuries. We can't predict like necessarily the way a lot of these game scripts are going to do. Yeah, we're looking at the lines for Vegas. We're looking at the teams that are favored to win the most games. We think they're going to be more positive scripts, but things don't always work. And there's so many variables involved. A lot of times just being able to lean back on talent whenever you're in these close situations is just going to be the better thing you know, to do. As far as like good calls versus bad calls, um, you know, individual players, I'll name a few like that. I felt really good about Jalen Hurts, Joe Mixon. I was the highest of the PFF staff on Justin Jefferson overall. I was just high on receivers and I pushed the dead zone running backs down my board further than, than most. And so I, yeah. I feel really good about avoiding those and my ranks reflected that. So if you use my ranks, I felt that I pushed you into a positive direction that probably had you trying to get, grab one running back in the first two rounds. Pile on the receivers, come back and get running backs later, and then just working the waiver wire. We kind of got fortunate on the waiver wire this year because there was a thousand running back injuries. You're not always (laughs) going to get that many, but I tell you what, man, it's still a pain in the ass. Because like if you're like me and you're working thirty waiver wires, like having to churn through that (laughs) many backs, sometimes it almost takes. You're like, man. I wish I would have freaking had two running backs on my team so I didn't have to do all these waiver wires. Of course, uh, assuming that your two backs didn't get hurt because we had so many players get hurt right. this year that were from the first round. So overall, like the things I feel the best about, Are fading the dead zone running backs, you know, and so this is more of a macro view, not just a micro. Um, And then just being more heavy on the wide receiver in the mid rounds. And again, now that does come down to your drafts. It just so happens the way that these where these players were being drafted, I felt the most upside. And the safety, right, from an injury standpoint, which is where like the zero strategy does kind of come in, um, not to take it like to a huge extreme, but the value that you get, the robustness that you can create like in your lineup, you know, at the receiver position. And in a lot of the leagues I play in, you know, I'm drafting, I have to draft, you know, uh, two flex players. So I was just looking to fill the flex with the receivers and the way that. Everything was stacking out from the way ADP worked, which is a huge thing. It was just really more, it just looked better. Like the, the strategy this year looked to be better going after those receivers in the middle rounds and getting away from the backs that really had like all the questions like Mike Davis. Um, really tried to steer folks away from Mike Davis. Um, Of course, that led to CPAT, right? We didn't know that CPAT was going to be (laughs) doing what he's doing. Um, But, I mean, the list goes on and on, right, of these backs that were in. Miles Sanders was really a big avoid for me. David Montgomery ended up putting it together at the end of the year. James Robinson was an avoid for for me. Miles Gaskin was an avoid. And the reason why is there's just these receivers that were taken in the first round this year, two years, three years ago that you could get you know, in those same rounds. And so you just knew the talent was there and you knew it was just an opportunity to kind of get around some of the injury issues and some of the cloudy backfield, murky backfield situations that, that ultimately did play out to be frustrating.
0: By the time August came around, we literally had, I think, our 16 or 17 RBs that we were like, you know, these are reasonable guys you can be drafting in the first few rounds. But after that, stay the hell away. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that was, and, and we'll see what ADP shapes up to be, you know, this next year. It, each year is kind of its own living organism. Every draft's its own living organism. But um, looking at, you know, what ADP looks like will be a big factor. Um, other things, you know, just fading, Elliot you know, fading Henry, not that you're ever going to be like happy about running back injuries, but they were just both so high in their touches that it was just really a calculated you know, Gamble, honestly, i on, on my part to avoid them just because I knew they carried more injury risk. Now, you could, looking at it now, hindsight, it's like, well, what running back didn't get hurt that we took <laughs> in the first round? So, it doesn't, it's not necessarily, you know, that I was just trying to fade everyone. There were other backs I was taking that maybe I should have been fading. But with Elliott and with Henry and then with Chubb, I was just staying away from Chubb really just because of Kareem Hunt. And so, Chubb's an interesting one, Ian. Like, he's really the same thing almost as Jonathan Taylor, He's got a pain in the ass backfield mate, but where it's different is Kareem Hunt is on a whole nother level than Naheem Hines, right? Kareem Hunt could actually be a lead back somewhere else. And so with Chubb, like he was a fade for me, but it's, it's the same logic we use in a way that kept me from drafting Jonathan Taylor. Also, help me appropriately get away from Nick Chubb and focus on Justin Jefferson, guys like that, you know, in the second round, uh, generally speaking, I stayed away from players like Julio, older guys. Um, you know, and I just think that's always a fine strategy, especially right now at receiver with so many young guys that are in the league, um, that were available in those mid rounds. And I think the other thing folks have just got to get used to Ian, like the industry's changing. Um, yeah. we have younger players that are more aggressive, that are willing to do, um, things that maybe, you know, a lot of the people you used to draft against, you know, didn't want to do like taking Jamar, Jamar chase at one point, this off season was a fourth round pick and he, he like moved the down highest to six. Rookie,
0: I think it was Jared Smolo from draft sharks was saying it was literally the highest rookie ADP we have ever seen yes, for a wide
1: receiver. It beat. Yeah. What we had seen from Julio Jones and AJ green back in the day. And then if you look at it, it ended up being one of the best values. He started off as a fourth rounder, ended up being more of a fifth or sixth rounder because there was all the stuff. Oh, he can't catch the ball because it doesn't have the stripes on it, which turned out to be great because that <laughs> allowed me to get way more exposure to him over uh, late in the draft season. As that caught going, um, I was really able to hammer home on Jamar chase and a lot of drafts, which was great. And hopefully lead a lot of folks to go ahead and draft him as well. Um, so good things again, like Jefferson, Jefferson, the rookies, Jalen Waddle, you already mentioned, but like uh, he's my most drafted player, so I was excited about him. Had him ranked really high, so hopefully a lot of people got to draft him. Um, bad, John the Taylor, we already mentioned. I was too high on Aaron Jones. Here's one, you know, Ian, that like I, I want us to like dissect more, but like Leonard Fournette, you know, I had him way too low in my ranks. I had him below the PFF consensus by like forty spots. I was basically saying no way should you ever touch Leonard Fournette. <laughs> and the way I'm looking at this one, you know. It's a great offense with the Bucks, and you have a former first round pick. You know, yes. Is it going to start off as a committee? Probably. But again, lean into the talent more often than not. You got a good offense and let things play out. You may not be able to use Leonard Fournette early in the year, but if you can get him in the 8th, ninth, 10th round, which is where he was going this year, like I should have gotten exposure to Leonard Fournette, at least in the drafts where he was falling in the ninth to 10th round. And not to make this like about me and my drafts, but like the best, I'm a player before I'm a writer, before I'm anything in fantasy. Like what made me interested in coming to PFF is I just love to play fantasy football you know, yeah. I mean, I play in a lot of leagues. And so what, hopefully when folks hear me talk like this, it's not, oh, this is about Dwayne's show. It's like the best way <laughs> I know how to explain it is like, I'm, I'm actually the advice I give to you guys, like is the actual advice I use to draft. Like oh, yeah. I'm, I'm giving you how I draft my teams, not just a list to give you a list. My ranks, the way I create them, I'm basically trying to put them in an order where you're forced into situations whenever it comes to your turn that there's certain guys that you know you just can't avoid. You're going to have to take them because I've got them ahead of the pack by so much. And then vice versa, guys that I rank so low, I may even rank them a little lower than what my projections say, just so you'll steer clear of them based on the other value you could be getting, right, at that time. So um, there's a lot of process, you know, that I put behind the way, you know, that I order my guys in the ranks because I really want to help you ultimately have the best draft. Um, and I spent a lot of time drafting and then writing about my drafts. So hopefully that helps you guys. Um, but as far as the bad, Trey Cerman, real, real, man. Real, my, point, real yeah, quick, real quick. to go, Ian, go
0: sorry because I was I was off on Fournette as well and you know based on what you're saying kind of my own thoughts as well obviously but I think the one thing that we were both and I think probably everyone out there is kind of missing from our season-long process is not putting enough weight on that potential best case scenario because I think we do a decent job of it in the season we have floor and ceiling projections to go along with our median projections but it just always ranks there's never really been a you know process where we're paying super close attention to a guy's ceiling. I think that's kind of baked into the rank, but it's not exactly like we're never looking at Leonard Fournette. Like, cause if we were looking at him as, you know, what was he? Like a, a low, low, mid-tier RB3. So all it said on our ranks is Leonard Fournette, RB33. It didn't give the fact that, hey, if Rojo and Giovanni Bernard aren't that involved, Leonard Fournette could be a top five RB like he was this year. So I think, again, really focusing more on that best case scenario and what these guys ceiling could be is going to be really important moving forward. And I think trying to reference that really often as we're going through, it could help. And then also, like to your point about talent, you know, we preach volume, 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 but yes, talent should be a top. Tie- breaker. And I think finding a way to quantify that could is possible. Now it's not going to be perfect, but it's better than our current process, which is like, yeah, I think that guy's pretty good. But by using, you know, missed tackles and contested catch rates and some of these things that, yeah, it might be a little bit volatile from year to year, but just getting a rough idea of a talent score, I think could help us make some of these decisions. So adding on to everything you're you saying got
1: to see my ranks this year, if you went and looked at my actual articles that I posted, but that's mm-hmm. essentially what I did. I projected um, their utilization and then I had talent scores. And so I used key oh, metrics yeah. across each position. For talent, because look this it, really what it is. It's the crossroads of where talent and opportunity meet. Like, yeah. you know, you could argue there's a third really phase, which is the quality of the opportunity, right? You could get a ton of carries and be a good running back on the jets and you could still struggle because the team sucks. Right. Right. So there's quality of opportunity. There's the volume of opportunity. And then there's the talent and like, where those things intersect, like is ultimately how I create you know, my tiers now, right? So if you check off opportunity and talent and the quality of opportunity, you're a tier one player. Like if you check off opportunity, I'm, you know, we know you're going to be the bell cow back, but your talent is a little less like you're probably in tier two. You're a really talented player that we've got questions around your volume, you're tier three, right? So, but it is, I, but where I agree, um, obviously I agree. I mean, that's kind of the process that I try to use now, but where I need to fine tune and what we could, you know, really think it this like us, just like brainstorming here on the air, but I think people like this. So like figuring out like, how do we better tier those players? Right. How do we better right. tier some of those players? Like you mentioned with uncertainty, truly, Working through what does that best case scenario look like? Because I do a range of outcomes for every player as well. But again, obviously, it's not good enough because I freaking missed on Jonathan Taylor. So, like, my process totally has to improve. I think Javante Williams is a great example, you know, as well. I think the process behind Javante Williams for folks that were taking him in the fifth or sixth round of drafts, it didn't work out. But I think he was probably right. I don't think Javante Williams was a bad fifth or sixth round pick looking back he at didn't it. He did not kill your
0: squad. I know he didn't, he didn't win, kill the league, it, but, but he
1: didn't do what people hoped, right? Which was take over the backfield by like week eight.
0: Yeah. <laughs> very, very true. All right. and, and, and it these also other guys- depends
1: like on the players that are there with them, right? I mean, yeah. Melvin Mel uh Gordon is not Melvin Gordon is not your typical, you know in the way kind of back, right? People tend to think he's washed, but he's not. <laughs> so um, it also is quality of competition in your backfield and, and, and waiting those things. So,
0: and that's, you know, a, I think you can call it, it's not a win, but you know, I, I had so many arguments this whole offseason about why I valued Raheem Mostert over Trey Sermon. Now two carries into the year, Raheem Mostert got freaking obviously injured and done. I understand the injury prone narrative was a lot of people's reasoning with that, but we can't assume that rookie running back are just going to immediately Take over the incumbent starter, and even though it wasn't Moser, we did see that come to fruition with Trey Sermon and Elijah Mitchell. Right,
1: and some of our other test cases, we just didn't get to see because that because Travis Etienne got hurt right before the season started. Cam and Makers got hurt. Yeah, so I mean, we had a lot of injuries, but I mean, this stuff is you know historically looking back. Here's what I will say: in the dead zone, I would much rather take a chance on a young back with upside. Than a lot of the backs that we want to avoid. If you're going to be yeah. drafting running backs in the dead zone, I think you should be aiming for upside.
0: Yeah, 100%. All right, man. Any other stuff you want to talk about here? I think we, I said, no, man, game, I, think we hit,
1: <laughs> I, I think we hit on a lot of it. um Okay. A lot of it is just more these these macro things, you know, like yeah. roster construction is really what it comes down to. How do you build yeah. a squad that's going to give you um, the ceiling you want while also like the floor, not just being completely terrible because it's also more complex, right? Than like, I've had some of these conversations on Twitter. Look, if you just want to go draft all young players, there's nothing new about that. Like that strategy. Like I got a guy I've been drafting with for 15 years and every year, like this guy took Randy Moss in his rookie year like seven rounds above ADP and it paid (laughs) off. Like he hit huge. This guy took Edrin James with the pick one, one one year and it paid off huge. I saw him do the same thing with Ladainian Thomas in his rookie year, but I've also seen multiple years where his team completely crashes and burns. Like, so it's not just a matter of only taking upside players. It's not as simple as I'm just going to draft every young player. Right. And and so it's figuring out like, how do we take it to that next level um, of really quantifying it, you know, to your point.
0: And, hey, as you said, man, every year is different. Every draft is different. So the RBs are in the dead zone that we faded last year. If the entire industry gets on this and the ADP for those guys drops by 20 spots each now, all of a sudden their yep. values are and it's gonna going to go in.
1: So that's going to happen. Cause look every year in fantasy, like I've been doing this long enough. It's, it's a copycat, just like the NFL <laughs> next year, you're going to see more zero running back, than you've ever seen. You're yeah. gonna see more receivers go in the first round. You're gonna, you're gonna see a ton of receivers go in the first two rounds. And you're gonna see running backs get pushed down the board. Right. So the dead zone is gonna get pushed. It, dude, it started happening this year. Towards the end of draft season, like it was already happening in 2021. If you drafted a team in June and then you drafted a team in August, like the ADP was a significant bump down for these backs. And it was the right thought process was to bump these guys down. And just people, like I said, are getting sharper. There's better. There's more and more resources out there that people can read. Right. There's a lot of smart folks thinking about this stuff. So we'll be on it. You know, I can't wait. This is I'm honestly like I love the season but I get a full off season with PFF now and, you know, know. you and the rest of the guys and I'm dude, I'm stoked like for what we're going to come up with.
0: I am as well. My friend first of a hundred times I'll say it's off season as always. We don't hate players. We just hate ADPs and we'll continue to adjust the ranks accordingly. And also, want to note that you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code Fancy. all that locked article content, betting dashboards, player prop tools, grades, all that and so much more if you want to get your hands on some of the research that Dwayne and I will be pumping out all, all season long. Go ahead, support the pod and use promo code FANTASY for 25% off any subscription. And also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Manscaped. Cheers to 2022 and resolutions. You can actually keep how about upgrading your grooming routine for the new year our sponsors at manscaped are here to make the ball drop into 2022 and making it the cleanest ever set your first new year's resolution with good intentions and join the four million men worldwide who trust manscaped with our exclusive offer go to manscaped.com and use code pff for 20 off and free shipping again it's 20 off and free shipping with the code pff at manscaped.com that's 20 off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code pff it's new year new me in 2022 with manscaped also invite you guys to head on over over to DraftKings, where you can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code PFF, bet just $5 on any football team, college or pro, and win $200 in free bets. If they're victorious, that's promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, and there Pennsylvania in Pennsylvania. New customers are on. You're going to find a deposit, one dollar wager, one-per-customer, supplies, sure. DraftKings.com. So for details, gambling problem, called 1-800-GAMBLER. And finally, always love this deal. Our friends over at Western Southern are hooking you up. All you got to do is ask a question to Chris Collinsworth at WesternSouthern.com slash ask Chris, and they will cover your catering if you win up to $2,500 for the Super Bowl coordinator order from a restaurant near you. And they will have it delivered on February 13, 2022. You can hear the answers on the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western Southern's Instagram. Again, you can ask those at WesternSouthern.com slash ask Chris if you're watching on YouTube. Check out the link in the description below. And remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Dwayne, here we are, first off-season podcast. It was like, all right, great. Got got this time, we don't need to really jam-pack pots anymore and I think we're pushing like an hour 40 minutes. We like talk football, man. I'm not going to apologize for that. No, man. And look, we're just excited. Like it's it's yeah. like, you know, as,
1: as much as we love football and I want the season, like I just wish the season was always here. Like now it's like we had to, get to, get, to take a step back, like what are the lessons learned? All that kind of stuff. Like that's what gets me jazzed. Like I just, I I love to always constantly be trying to improve and figuring out how we can help others. So I think it's just our excitement. Like, I think we share that and it's just coming through.
0: And you know, I do have a lot of people in the industry coming up, ask me, Hey, you know, how, how do you just general advice, which is great. You should ask people in whatever industry you're doing advice for how to be good. If you think that they're doing good in it. And my answer is, always the same: keep writing, keep working, because if you keep doing this 365 days a year, you're going to outperform the people that do silly things like look at basketball and baseball during the off season. So just something to keep in mind there. There's always, there are always going to be more questions to ask about football, both from a real life and fantasy perspective. Best way to get better at anything is by doing it more often. So we'll continue to do that right here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, take care, everybody.